Ultra trail runners, to me, are the epitome of adventure seekers. These folks tend to push themselves and their bodies much, much further than I can even fathom. As I spoke with Michael Whiteside about his journey as an ultra trail runner, I came to the realization that he is just as human as I am. The difference is he decided to ultra run, and I did not. He is still someone who enjoys life and loves to smile, but still struggles at times like we all do with past addictions and self-doubt. Come along with Michael Whiteside as we go up into the mountains of Utah and trail run together. 100 miles? No problem. Hello everyone, my name is Jake Bushman and I am the host of Journey with Jake. Every other week or so I get the opportunity to sit down with adventure seekers to not only talk about their adventures, but about who they are, their lives, the difficulties and the challenges they face. On this episode, I spoke with ultra trail runner Michael Whiteside and his story of getting into ultra running, which also includes some difficulties he has dealt with from his past. But more importantly, it's about the joy he is finding now. Welcome to Journey with Jake. This is a podcast about adventure and how through our adventures, we can overcome the challenges of life that come our way. While I expect you will learn some things about different adventures, this show will entertain you. Each episode will feature a different guest or guests as they share experiences and stories from the different adventures they have been on. Not only will you be entertained, but you will also hear the failures and trials each guest faces and what they have done or are doing to overcome the hardships that come their way. My goal is to take each of us on a journey through the experiences of my guests with the hope that you'll be entertained and inspired to overcome your day-to-day challenges. After all, it's not all about the destination as it is about the journey. Welcome back to another episode of Journey with Jake. My goal this month to release an episode every week in March is still in play, although I was faced with a little opposition this week. The lesson to all of you out there is to please back up your work. I had a quick business trip to the Bay Area this past week and had my luggage, computers, basically everything I had with me stolen, including a few recordings of Journey with Jake, which I had not backed up. Fortunately, the guests I have on this show are so fantastic, they are willing to record with me again, like our guest today, Michael Whiteside. If you want to get a little more personal insight into my guest, please give him a follow on Instagram. You can find Michael Whiteside at Michael underscore Dean 82. That's at Michael underscore Dean, spelled D-E-A-N, and the number is 82, Dean 82 on Instagram. I also want to thank my former guest from episode five, Mr. Skylar Harrison. Go back and listen to episode five. That was about hunting from Skylar Harrison. Skylar gave me the referral of Michael Whiteside. I really appreciate that. I love referrals on this show. If you know anybody who is into adventure and would be a good guest to have on the show, let me know about them. Send me an email to jake at journeywithjake.net or have them message me on Instagram or you can message me on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at journeywithjakepodcast. All righty, let's get on with my conversation with ultra trail runner, Michael Whiteside. All right, Mr. Whiteside, Michael Whiteside, welcome to Journey with Jake. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Welcome again, I guess I should say. Yeah, <laughs> so, take two. This is take two for, for me and Michael. Anyway, all part of the fun. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for coming on again. You're an adventurer just from 
what we talked about before, what we're going to talk about today yeah, yeah. with the ultra trail running and that sort of thing. We're going to dive into that. But first, give our audience a little bit about who who Michael is. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so I'm uh, 40. I grew up in northern New Mexico. I was actually born in Texas, but lived there for basically two months of my life. And then uh, moved to northern New Mexico, kind of moved all around a little bit and uh, landed in Los Alamos, which is you know, where the atomic bomb was built. So they, you know, like to joke, we glow in the dark up there, but you know, it's in the mountains. So nobody expects Northern New Mexico to be in the mountains. So it's kind of raised in the mountains, raised in a small town. Adventure was kind of, you know, out our back door. We had a Canyon. We just go, you know, go away for a little while till the light street lights come on. Then you had to come back home, right? Raised that way and ended up going into the air force after high school, landed in Germany for a couple of years, got deployed from there to Qatar. Then I landed here in Utah after Germany, got deployed from here as well, met my wife, and I've been in Utah ever since. Very good. So you met your wife here in Utah? Yeah. Yeah. And I get to say here in Utah because I live in Utah as well. So that's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. And, yeah, perfect. And you live like a little, fr- little further north than me. I'm kind of South Utah County. You're Ogden area? I'm up in Layton. Yeah. Layton, Utah. About, okay. Yeah. Halfway between Ogden and Salt Lake, kind of oh. right in the middle. Very good. So how long were you in the Air Force? I was in the Air Force four years. It's okay. kind of funny. I was supposed to be in six after the war. I was in during, so I joined in January 2001. I got out in 2005. They were actually shrinking the Air Force. So they I, they offered me an out early and I'd already been deployed twice. I said, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Check yourself out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Got my degree later. Could use my GI Bill. So that's kind of the point of me going to the Air Force was, you know, get my education, see the world a little bit if I could. and got lucky. And now you're Mr. Mr. Adventure Man himself. I mean, I, I've talked to <laughs> Dean Carnazes on here as an ultra runner, talked about, talked with him just from what you do. And I've watched a couple of your videos. You ultra runners are just, you're a different breed. You're a different type. Yeah. Just incredible what you do. So you didn't just wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm going to go run. I mean, like that's kind of what Dean Carnazes did. What did, how did you get into this? Right? Tell us that backstory. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely took me a while to get into running. You know, I ran in the air force I wasn't exactly, you know, the model of discipline when I was in. So I kind of got in trouble a little and, you know, found the gym and found running as an out, you know, as something I could do. So got decent at running the short distances. You know, I wasn't fast, but I wasn't slow. There's always somebody faster than you, obviously. And then, you know, I got out, didn't want to do anything that had to do with running. I hated running before the Air Force, hated running after the Air Force, (laughs) and then uh, ended up gaining a bunch of weight after I got out of my shop job to the job I'm doing now, which is sales. So I ended up gaining weight and I started cycling to lose weight. You know, I wanted, I'm competitive by nature. So I wanted to be competitive with cycling. I couldn't really find anything that was like by yourself, you know, like a road race, um, anything like that. So my wife ended up doing the Portland Marathon in 2016 i believe i watched her finish and i was like you know what this this might be it (laughs) i could do this on my own i don't need a team i can just get out on my two feet and run and i remembered enjoying running when i did do it so started road running got back into it did a half marathon you know did the 5k did the 10k ended up doing a half marathon and then shortly after i did my half i was kind of eyeing a marathon Um, I always wanted to go next step, next step. And then my friend actually asked me to pace him 
in the Wasatch 100. He wanted me to pace him for the last third of it, which is about roughly 33 miles, 32. And it terrified me, of course. And this was in March of 2019. He asked me that in March, the race is in September. So I feverishly trained throughout the summer on the trails. And ever since then, I've never wanted to get off the trail under the road. I've just, you know, if I don't have to run on the road ever, I'd be a happy guy. I mean, doesn't matter the conditions, I'll, I'll stay on the trail. <laughs> so going back a little bit, you were kind of feeling a little overweight. Was that kind yeah. of your first motivation? Like, eh, I'm not yeah. as healthy as I could be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely got the ball rolling, right? I mean, I was far less when I was, because I was working I was in the shop, I was physically demanding job, I was a mechanic. So I was up and down, up and down, working a lot physically. And then I went to no physical work, all sales, getting three meals a day for free, right? You know, I mean, living the life of a salesman and it just, it happened seemingly overnight. I mean, something one day just clicked and said, I got to do something about this. And, um, and that's literally what started the ball rolling with getting on the bike. You know, I tried to run a little bit here and there, but running is, you know, people like to say they're going to get in shape by running. I like to say you need to get in shape to run because running is difficult and it's very, um, how do I say discouraging for a lot of people when they get out and try and run a mile and it's exhausting. And for me, the bike was like the alternative of like, Hey, it's easier. You know, I can freewheel, I can cruise, I can, you know, put in the amount of effort I want while still feeling like I'm getting miles in or a little bit longer distance, you know, going somewhere. That's kind of where I started. Wow. So I like that though, getting, getting in shape to run. That's kind of a good way to, good way to look at it. And you mentioned your wife, she ran a marathon, the Portland marathon. Yeah. And so yeah. you were there, you were there supporting her. Did you see her across the yeah. line? I mean, so you were kind of yeah. like, all right, let's yeah. get going. I like how you saw said you were kind of saw the metal. Yeah. And I, I like how you said you saw stepping stones, 5k, yeah. 10k, you did a half. I signed up for a half. That's scary nice. for me. So yeah, I'm, yeah. Ner- I'm nervous about that. It's funny when I talk to you ultra runners, you're just like, it's like a drop in the bucket for you guys. But for me, it's like <laughs> this huge deal. Um, yeah. But anyway, well, it's, but like how you had those stepping stones, when your friend came to you, and said this 33 months, you know, I want you to pace me. And for those who do, kind of explain that whole pacing situation, because yeah. I know these, like, for example, the Wasatch 100, the 100 refers to miles, right? 100 miles yep. running. Yep. You have these pacers. What are the pacers there for? What's the purpose? Typically, you know, you don't have a pacer in races less than 50 miles. Um, some 50 milers allow you to have a pacer for the later stages of it. Like 100K and 100 miler, you can usually have you know, starting about halfway, you can pick up a pacer who's just somebody that runs with you and keeps you company, make sure you're eating, make sure you're drinking, make sure you're staying awake, you know, just literally kind of be there to distract you and guide you along. I've always said it and I say here, it's a team sport. You know, I mean, you're by yourself. It's you against the clock. Some people do do it by themselves. But I still call it a team sport because you have volunteers, you have aid stations, you have all these things that require other people to be there. And uh, a pacer is just, you know, literally somebody to guide you along, keep you going, make sure you're still moving, you're not walking too much or running too much, you know, you're you're literally setting the pace, right? And so when he asked me that, to me, that was a huge ask. You know, I mean, I'd never done anything more than a half marathon. 
And I was like, okay, this is a long way for one to start. Like this is way longer than I've ever gone. And I didn't want to disappoint him by any means. I didn't want to hold it back. I didn't want to be the guy that's like, okay, go ahead, man. I'm, I'm back. You're walking, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> so, so it really cued my training and I overtrained tremendously for it just because I was, I didn't, you know, the last thing I ever wanted to do was let him down. So it was, uh, it was, just, I mean, but it was the jump start into this crazy world of ultras for me. And I like how you mentioned it kind of propelled you from that point. Like you never wanted to get off the trail. So tell me about that when you paced with him. So you did, you said the last third of it. So about 33 miles. So did you, you came to the finish line with him? Yeah. So we came through the finish together. We started at um, Brighton ski resort and then you go over the top of the mountain and kind of drop down. Those of you familiar with Utah may not know, but it's, um, it's a long mountainous trek and it's mostly downhill. So it was, you know, you start it, I think he picked me up about 2 a.m somewhere around there. So you start the dark with him and you big climb out of there. First, first climb is to the top, to the high point of the race, which is like 10,500 feet. So you climb up and over the mountain and you kind of just fall and with little climbs along the way, but it's a lot of downhill and he was exhausted, right? I mean, he's 70 miles in by the time he picks me up, you know, so, and he'd never done a hundred. And so it was his first Wasatch is a, is a notoriously difficult hundred. So it was kind of a, you know, it was a big deal all around. It was his 40th birthday, which I thought was really cool. Um, That night he turned 40. So at midnight, halfway through the race, you know, he turns 40. It was a huge learning experience for me. It was getting to know the community, which the ultra community, if anybody has any hint of a want to do it, you know, pacing somebody is perfect. You get to, you know, go to, I call it, you go to snail's pace and you eat free food. It's just a blast, (laughs) right? So you're fresh. The guy's tired, you know, just cruise along, keep them company, tell them jokes, talk to them. You know I mean? It was a, it was a really fun time. You know, it was cold through the night. The sun comes up. It's like rejuvenating. You see them wake up and feel rejuvenated again. And it's, um, it was really fun. It was, it really, really got the ball rolling. I mean, it was like, it was a huge jump start for me. You know, I saw him finish and in hundreds, you get a belt buckle. You don't get a medal on your neck. You actually get a belt buckle. That's the, you know, the end prize. Right. So I saw him get his belt buckle and I thought, oh man, this is it. This is my life now. This is, I have to get a belt buckle. Well, see, that's what I wondered. I wondered if you kind of felt that when you saw him cross, you're like, Hey, he's doing this. I came with him here. The last third, yeah. my turn. Yeah, it was, man. It was right away. I mean, I think I signed up, you know, well, we signed up for a hundred K together for the next April, which ended up being canceled because of COVID. But I mean, I was right there, you know, a hundred miles still terrified me. It was like way over anything I could even fathom. Right. But I had just done 33 miles with him. I thought, well, I didn't think that was possible. Right. I mean, maybe a hundred is so signed up for a hundred K and then, you know, we kind of went through there, but and ended up doing my first ultra by myself in an actual race in that November. So November of 2019, I did a 50 K out on okay. Antelope Island in the Salt Lake. 50 K 30 something miles. Is that what that yeah, so that's 31? Yeah. Okay. So you actually did more as a pacer, mm-hmm. but you signed up for your first official one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was like when I was done pacing him, I thought, okay, I've done a 50 K now plus. Right. Yeah. But it was, it was literally like mostly walking. I mean, that's kind of the the hidden secret behind hundred milers is you do a lot of walking, you know, it's not uphill, um, you know, the winners, the people that are, you know, top five, top 10, you know, and some of the ultras that are a lot, there's a lot more running, but the mountainous ones that I've done, 
and the pace that I go, it's a lot of walking. You know, you run when it's flat or downhill. You walk when it's any sort of uphill. You're just conserving energy and trying to make it, right? And speaking of trying to make it, trying to finish, to get a belt buckle, it's a certain, it's a time thing, right? Like that yep. they say, you got to get this in a certain time. So yep. on a your first one ever, a 50K, what was kind of the time limit? So a 50K, typically they give you between eight, maybe 10 hours at the most. 10 is very generous. So my first 50K took me about six and a half hours, a little under seven hours. And it was a lot of running. I mean, it was out on Antelope Island. There was a little bit of it. You know, there's a big incline halfway through when it was that route. It was pretty fun, but it was a lot of running. You know, it was for an ultra. It was a lot of physically running, not, you know, not a lot of walking. So it was faster. You know, as far as hundreds go, most cutoffs at hundreds are 36 hours. 36 hours. Wow. Yeah. 36 hours. So if you think about thinking about 36 yeah. hours, that means you're running night to day to yeah. night back in the day a lot of times. Yeah. That's in, yeah. that's pretty incredible. So tell me about your, what was your first 100 then? Yeah. So my first 100 ended up being, well, the, the next year I'd signed up for the 100K at Zion. It got canceled. So I decided, and 100K is about 62 miles. Okay. So you're um, trying to just the steps yeah, like you mentioned build yeah. Up, yeah yeah ended up doing it by myself instead i had a couple friends meet me along this crazy route i made up ended up doing a solo 100k virtually because everything in 2020 was virtual for the most part so yeah. i just made the route said i've been training for it let's see if i could do it ended up doing it myself like, that's impressive though because like you said yeah everything was closing down shut down you just decided i'm still gonna do this i set the goal to do this and i'm gonna do it yeah awesome yeah, i mean it was perfect timing and you know, I, I could control everything about it. So, but I had to be the race director. I had to be the aid station director. You know, I had to get my volunteers in place and set people up along the way for water and food and stuff. And I didn't know what I was doing. So I ended up doing a couple more races between then and my first hundred. And then in April of 21 is when I did my first hundred at Zion. And so it was kind of a desert one, you know, quite a bit of up and down. You're up and down off the mesas around there. You're never actually in the park. You're kind of outside around the park a little bit. Beautiful, really fun race. Definitely uh, a good challenge and a good one for your first hundred. I mean, it you know the the race directors are pretty good. You know, it's vacation races is the brand that puts it on, and it was a it was a pretty decent race. You know, I mean, um, took me just over thirty four hours. So you know, like I said, I'm I'm a slow and steady guy. I'm not a front of the pack. I'm not a back of the pack. You know, typically I'm not fighting to finish under the cutoffs, but I'm, uh, I like to just keep moving. You know, if, if I'm always keep moving forward, you know, stop when I see the crew and stuff like that. So it, yeah, my goal is, is always just to finish. <laughs> and what's it like for you when you cross a finish line? Yeah, there's just nothing like it. And I think there was the buildup, you know, going up to race day is tremendous, right? So you're building up all these emotions that you're thinking about. And for me during the race, it's, I, I get emotional five, six times during the race thinking about crossing that finish line. And then when it comes, it's just like, there's just no explanation to it. I mean, I think I've cried every single time, you know, I've done three hundreds and I've cried every time. And, uh, you know, I'm typically kind of an emotional guy anyway, but it's, I mean, I can't contain it. It's like my wife's there. Her parents have always been there. My daughter's there. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, Oh, it's just a feeling of accomplishment. You just think like, I literally just moved a hundred miles on my feet by myself through the night, through the day. You know, you start at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. You finish before 5 or 6 p.m. And it's like, oh man, it's just a relief in this, 
you've been through the pain all day. You've doubted that you could even do it. You know, I mean, I know when you were talking to Dean, he said it many times too. It's like, you get to these points where you think there's no way I'm going to finish. Like, there's no way I'm going to have enough time. I'm exhausted. You know, my first one at Zion, I was a mile between 40 and 45. And I thought there's no way. Like I'm, I'm, I don't have any energy left. My legs are dead. I'm exhausted. There's no way I'm going to make it through a hundred miles in time. Like I'm going to run out of time. I'm going so slow, but I just kind of made it through, you know, I knew the next aid station was, you know, I think I had four or five miles left and that was a crew stop. So sometimes you can see your family. Uh, typically it's three or four times max during a hundred miler. You can see your crew. So I knew I was going to see them. You know, it was coming into the night, so the sun was kind of setting. I thought, I just got to get there. Maybe I'll feel differently. You know, I'm never going to give up. You know, you're going to have to tell me you're run out of time. I'm not going to stop because it's too hard or I'm afraid I'm not going to finish. I'm going to go until you some stops, right? So I got to see them and it was like, you'd go through this roller coaster of up and downs where you're like, okay, there's no way. Okay, great. I feel wonderful. I'm going to finish. Like I got all this time. And then you hit the wall again and you're like, oh, there's no way. So it's this up and down, up and down, you know, and um, a roller coaster is the best. And way how many it. times, how many times during a race, during a 100, for example, do you go through this roller coaster? Yeah, I mean, I would say that first one because it was 100% unknown. Like, how am I going to feel? Is it even possible for me and my body and my feet and my lungs to do this 100 miles? I'll bet you three, at least three times I thought there was no way I was going to finish. You know, I thought. I picked up my pacer, who is actually my coach, who's my really good friend. And te- I like to call her, she's technically my cousin through a couple of marriages. So, <laughs> but she, um, she picked me up and paced me for half of it on her own. I mean, and it was like, once somebody's with you, the doubt and the fear kind of goes away, especially when it's someone that has the experience. You know, she knew what to tell me. She knew what I wanted to eat or what I needed to eat, what I needed to drink, you know, because you have to stay hydrated. You have to stay nourished. You have to, you know, she would have me change my socks and change my shoes, just do things that would refresh you and make you feel better. Right. In the middle of feeling like garbage. (laughs) You mentioned the teamwork, having seen your family at, you know, some of the stations where they can be there, having the pacer to be with you. I never realized, you know, you think running and I think running because I go run in the mornings, but I'm running like three miles. I'm always just by myself. Typically every now and again, I got a a neighbor who will join me, but otherwise it's just me by myself. You don't think about that, but how important that is to have that support. It is, you know, I have a couple of friends that do them on their own and they're seasoned at this point, you know, they've done quite a few. And to me, it's, it's just such a boost to see a friendly face, you know, and, and they have clothes for you or special drinks that you might want to, you know, I'm a big fan of coconut water. So they always have coconut water for me and, and stuff like that. Little things, right. That you're, that just boost your morale a little bit, like through the night, you know, your hands might get sweaty, your gloves get cold. So it's like, oh, a new pair of gloves, uh, you know, a new shirt, just something to change into. And I've learned, you know, since then I've done two more. So I did the bear 100 in Utah and Northern Utah. And I did Wasatch myself and both of those, I didn't even take my shoes off and it's like, you know, I've learned, you know, there's things that you need to do and there's things you don't need to do. But that first one, it was huge to, you know, take my shoes off, put new socks on. It's like, oh, okay, my feet feel alive again. Right. But that after that, after completing it, knowing I can do it, you know, now it's like, okay, I know I can muscle memories there. 
it's still going to be an emotional roller coaster. Like there's still going to be these things you have to deal with. It's still a giant problem that you have to solve the entire time. You know, you're going to run into, you know, you might run into chafing, you might get a blister, you might, you know, any, I mean, your stomach might turn on you, which is what just happened to me. You know, we can talk about a little bit when we get there, but um, yeah, I mean, anything can happen and you have to be ready and you have to kind of have that experience of like, Hey, what's going to, what am I going to do now? How do I solve this? So that's also part of the challenge for me that I really enjoy. I mean, have you experienced chafing? Have you experienced oh, yeah. blisters, those things? So oh, yeah. How do you keep going? Because for me, and maybe I'm just a wimp, but I would, you know, you get a blister. Those things hurt, man. Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I've been <laughs> how do you tell lucky. yourself? How mentally, how do you tell yourself, fight through it, you yeah. know, battle? What do you do? So I've, uh, you know, I've, I've come up with something. I don't know if it was on my own or maybe I heard it somewhere, but it's, you know, it's always been for me to remove the emotion from the pain. Like emotionally, you can say, oh, this hurts. And, you know, it triggers these emotions in your body of like something's wrong. You know, mentally, it's like, oh, you know, there's a little bit of a panic. Like this is going to hurt for another 60 miles. You know, I mean, I got a blister, a wasatch on my heel and I can feel it coming on. And, you know, I should have taped it earlier, but I was like, oh, it'll be fine. I never blister. So I ended up, I actually ended up, okay, technically I took one shoe off it at wasatch, right? So we took it off. We taped my heel and it hurt but it was kind of on the back of the heel, you know, it wasn't under my foot. So, you know, we just taped it, put some, some, some K team tape on it and a little moleskin and, you know, put my sock back on and just kind of tried to ignore it. Right. I mean, for me, it is, it's just remove the emotion. It's your, it's your natural instinct to emotionally feel pain as a negative thing. And so it's like, well, it hurts. It's not going to get better and it's probably not going to get worse. Let's just deal with it and keep moving. That's why I admire you ultra runners. You guys are incredible. What you guys do. <laughs> oh, thanks, <man. laughs> I mean, do you have time to even enjoy the scenery and the beauty? Cause you've ran in some beautiful places. I've watched some of your videos. Oh. I can enjoy them watching them on the, on the TV yeah. there, but are you able to enjoy these? Do you ever just take a moment and be like, wow, this yeah. is awesome. Definitely. I mean, that's for me being outside is 99% of why I'm doing it. You know, I'm outside. I love being out in nature. I love being in places that most people don't ever get to go hearing silence is huge for me, right? I mean, I don't ever listen to music. I don't ever listen to podcasts when I'm running. It's just me and my breath, the sound of my feet, you know, and the birds chirping or whatever else, you know, you, the wind in the tree. It's like, that's why I'm there. I want that time. Mentally, it's it's tremendous for me. I mean, it's it's an out. It's time for meditation. You know, I don't do the traditional sit in a quiet room meditation. I do it when I'm out running and I'm Typically, I do run by myself, and a lot of times I run in the dark. And, you know, just like you're saying, you know, you're by yourself. And it's just time for me to, to you know, turn within and deal with my thoughts and issues I've had. And, you know, it's helped me tremendously in my life get over a, a number of things. I mean, in the Bear 100, you're, it's in late September. You're going through the, you know, through the mountains in northern Utah. The leaves are all changing. You know, I, I specifically remember coming over the top of the ski resort, um, Beaver Mountain by Logan. You know, you're coming over the top of the ski resort and at the backside, the sun's coming up, you get to the top and the sun's up and it's just yellow and gold and green everywhere. And it's like, okay, this is why we do it. This is the point, right? I mean, getting outside, I'm seeing this, I'm breathing the fresh air. I'm seeing things that, like I said, most people never get to see. You go places during the Wasatch 100 that most people don't ever go. 
I mean, you're very far back in on the trails in certain spots and it's like, it's, it's a huge experience for me. That's, that's why I do it is to get outside. Right. You talk too about kind of meditating and kind of dealing with things that you're dealing with and having that go through your mind. And I know you've dealt with some things in your past. Do you mind kind of telling yeah. us a little bit about what you've kind of gone through and and maybe how yeah, this sure. running's kind of helped with that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've dealt with addiction. I've dealt with, I, I found I have an addictive personality, period. You know, and that's kind of where running came in is I got addicted to running. I'm neck deep in it and I'm full on into it, but it replaced other addictions. You know, I'm three years sober. Weed was a big problem for me. Alcohol, not so much, but I have abstained from everything. So no alcohol, no drugs at all. And I learned I don't have an off switch. So if if I get into to the drugs, if I get into the alcohol, it's morning tonight. It's, you know, there's just no off switch with me, which helps tremendously with hundreds, right? I mean, you know, I know mentally I'm never going to give up because I don't have that capacity of just saying this is too hard. But I also find that that's a control issue for me and in substances and in other, you know, things that you can have negatively um, impact you and abuse in your life. And it also helps me get through stuff from my childhood. I mean, I lost both my parents before I was eight. So dealing with the struggle of going through that, this is huge for me. It's like something I know I can count on myself. I know I'm responsible for it. My own discipline. I don't have to count on anybody else, which is kind of how I was raised after you know, my dad died early and then my mom died later. So after that, it was like, you're, you're on your own. Now I'm like, yes, I am on my own. I can count on myself. I can push through this mentally. I, I feel like I have that strength because of who I was and because of the things that have happened to me and overcoming addiction, man, it's not easy. You know, I mean, three years is a long time and um, it feels like just yesterday. And sometimes, you know, I do feel like, oh, this would be better if I was high or whatever. If I had a beer after this, it'd feel good, you know, but it's like, I know now the issues that it caused weren't visual for me. You know, I know that the effects it had on my family, the effects I, you know, I lacked as a parent, the risks I would take weren't worth it. And I couldn't see it before. It wasn't actually until after I stopped that I was like, okay, I was making a huge mistake. Like I didn't see it, you know, especially weed now, you know, it's becoming legal. Everybody's like, it's medically great for you. It's not addicting, which I feel like is the biggest lie out there. (laughs) So, you know, that was the hard for me. It was like, I could justify it, right? And um, I could justify the risk I was taking. I could justify, you know, using it as much as I was. And and then at some point it was like, it was COVID. I wasn't traveling for work. I was home a lot more. I thought now's the time. Let's just, let's just do it, man. It's time. You know, my wife, when I decided to, to become sober she'd been sober seven years almost so now she's 10 years sober i'm three years and it's like you know we both know ourselves we both you know still think about it like oh it'd be nice but we both know that it's it's you know it's better being just being alive deal with yeah. things you know naturally right when those thoughts come that you're like you're like oh maybe it'd be better if i just got high today or had a beer you know yeah is it kind of the same like with the raid do you kind of just take the emotion out of it and just kind of focus? Like, how do you, what do you do to overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I try and look at it realistically, right? I mean, um, because it is, you know, it is so easy to get sucked back into it, right? I mean, it happens to people all the time. Relapsing happens years after people get sober. And it is, it's just removing that emotion of like that feeling of, ah, the escape, right? And it's like, okay, what am I escaping? 
where am I at right now? What's happening that's making me want to, to take this escape? You know, why do I feel like I need to be elevated more than I already am? You know, and, and, and a lot of times what I'll do is end up journaling. I end up journaling quite a bit, you know, at least once a week. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I lag a little bit on it, but I do, if I'm having an issue, journaling is huge for me. It's like, let's figure out what's going on because it is typically an emotion, right? It's that feeling of like, you know, you just want to be distracted. You don't want to be here right now. So let's figure out why. And sometimes it takes just going for a run for six hours on a Saturday, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go for a little run. Be back in six yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, it's inspiring. I, I appreciate you sharing that and being you know, forthcoming okay. with that. Cause I know that's a tough thing to do. And I, it, it inspires me and I'm proud of you that you, you know, you've been sober for three years and you're probably an inspiration to so many other people. I want to touch on the family aspect. Cause you remember, you know, you said you yeah. lost parents when you're, by the time you're eight, both parents were yeah. gone. Now that you're married, you mentioned, I think you mentioned your in-laws. Yep. What's that like having that support, especially when you're on these runs? Oh man, it's tremendous. I mean, my wife's parents are amazing. They come to every race that they can. They're at every finish line cheering me on, ringing the cowbells, you know? I mean, it, and it's something I really didn't have growing up. I mean, we were raised with our stepdad, me and my older brother, and he did what he could. You know, he was, we weren't his kids and he, he took us in and raised us the best he knew, but it was one person. He was working. He was busy, right? I mean, it wasn't the, wasn't the two, you know, the two parent supportive home that we all wish for, right? Now that I have the support, it's it's tremendous. I mean, I couldn't ask for better in-laws. They're amazing. And seeing my daughter at the finish line of every race is always huge for me. And um, and just seeing her face. And she calls me, uh, what she called me the other day, she said, I'm like a puppy because I'm always so happy when I'm coming across the finish line or when she sees me at an aid station. And I'm like, well, you're lifting me up, you know, is what I try and tell her. It's like, I'm so happy to see you guys. I'm so happy to be doing what I'm doing because I enjoy it so much. I mean, it's just, I couldn't be happier doing the race and having that support. I mean, and it is kind of self-absorbed a little bit, right? I mean, everybody's there for you and it's a good feeling, right? You know, <laughs> like everybody's here for me. It's all about me. It's, you know, for, for me, it's hit and miss, right? Because I get a little embarrassed by it, to be honest. And it's like, everybody's looking at me like, but I do enjoy that support a huge amount. You know, it's the community of it and having her, my wife and her parents are just they're on another level of support, something I just couldn't have dreamed of. You know, I mean, they're really good people. So it's been great having them around, put it lightly. How about the other runners? I feel like there's that community with the other runners as well. I saw a video with you finishing, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, Tushers, Tushers? Yeah, I think I call it Tushers. Tushers. Some people call it Tushers. Tushers, yeah. Tushers. Okay. Yeah, I pronounced right? another I one wrong too. We were talking beforehand. I pronounced something else wrong. Oh, yeah. Tushers, Tushers, Tusher, whatever. Yeah. We'll call it that. Yeah. But when you finished yeah. the race there, and I think that was down a little further south by Beaver, Utah. Yep. You were like, these other guys came in after you and you guys embraced yeah. and oh, hugged. Yeah. So tell me about that community just amongst runners. Yeah. I mean, and I had, you know, never met those guys before. Ended up meeting, you know, meeting them along the way. One guy we ended up running probably... I mean, two thirds of it together, just on and off, you know, we, he'd push me on the downhills. I'd pull him up the, you know, on the inclines and we were a good team together and they ended up dropping him. And then we got back together and then he, you know, he ended up getting out of an aid station before I did. And we got, so it was kind of a yo-yo there, but we spent a lot of time together. And so you just talk, right. And you get to know each other. The community is so much different than let's just say the marathon community, you know, everybody 
to me in a marathon is worried about their time. They're looking at their watch, they're listening to their music. And in ultras, it's just like, we're all there with each other. You know, we're all suffering, you know, nobody cares about what time they're finishing in for the most part. We're all just trying to finish. Typically speaking, nobody has their headphones in. Some people do, right? I mean, and sometimes you need it, not looking down on anybody, obviously, but I just never do. It's just never worked for me, but but yeah, we ended up, you know, meeting this guy and he ended up having a pacer. So I ended up being with them for, you know, a long time. We ended up running together and just getting to know each other. You know, you just talk, learn about each other's kids and their jobs. And, you know, you end up becoming friends and, and so much so that I used his pacer in Wasatch, you know, which was a couple months later, you know, I ended up becoming pretty good friends with them and he ended up pacing me. And it was just like the community is, is what I thrive on. And, you know, I ended up feeling really good at the end of that race and taking off and leaving those guys behind, you know, I didn't feel like I wanted to, but I felt really good and they were kind of getting sluggish. So ended up putting, I don't know, almost an hour on them in the last six or seven miles, just feeling really good. But I couldn't leave the finish line until I saw them cross. I mean, it was like, they were my friends at that point. So I stayed around and watched them finish and, and it was huge. You know, it was a, I think it was the one guy's first, technically his first ultra. It was a hundred K in the Tushers that, you know, you start at 10,000 feet, you get to 12,000 feet. You know, you spend a lot of time at 11,000 feet and it's like, this is your first one. You chose a doozy, you know, (laughs) it was like, I wanted to be there for, to see him cross the line, even though I just met him, you know, it was like, to me, that's the, that's the part of this community that I really enjoy. You know, the friendships you make, the people are, are typically speaking extremely happy to talk to you and see you and meet new people and and you form friendships that last years i mean it's pretty incredible i very much enjoy that part of it that's fantastic i love that i love hearing about that i love seeing that video too and you just you're hugging these guys you know like yeah hey hug it out man i love it yeah right (laughs) absolutely because i know just recently you ran and it was it just a a 24-hour thing it's not your typical yep yep ultra i guess it's more of a, a 24 it's called yeah. Malins. It's called the Malins. Yeah. Okay. I said it right yeah, that time. So it's, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's actually um, running up for air series that they do in Utah. They do one in, uh, they've kind of expanded lately. So they do one in Washington, they do one in Montana and they do one in Colorado and it's to bring awareness and funds to nonprofits to clean up our air here in Utah. Cause in the winter time, we all know we have terrible Version, air quality. Yeah. Yeah, the inversion gets really thick. So so it's really, you know, it's an ultra. You can make it an ultra, right? Or you can just do as many laps as you can, essentially is what it is. And there's a three-hour, a six-hour, a 12-hour, and there's a 24-hour option. So I chose the 24-hour option. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm a glutton. So, and I wanted to see, you know, how far I can go in 24 hours. And it's an, uh, it's an out and back. So you go up to the peak, Malin's Peak, and you come back down to the parking lot. And they have a tent set up with food. And I had my car there so I could change my clothes if I needed to and uh, refuel. And, and, uh, so yeah, it was, it was 24 hours starting at, uh, it was actually just this last weekend, starting at 6 p.m. on Friday. And you go to 6 p.m. on Saturday. And it's completely up to you how many you do. It's about 5.6 miles, 5.8 miles, I think, round trip. Okay. With about 2,200 feet of climbing yeah, each lap. So it was, I ended up getting in nine laps. My goal was 10. I ended up getting in nine laps in 23 hours. So I didn't have enough time to go out on a 10th lap. I knew I wouldn't finish in time. So I stopped at 23, which ended up being 53 miles and right at 20,000 feet of vert. 
So, 20,000 feet. Holy cow. Yeah. And I know from your post, you said something about a little bit of GI issues. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the first time I had gut issues, you know, without getting graphic, man, I just couldn't stay out of the porta potty. It was like every lap, man. You know, I was just dealing with it. And once I finally felt like I didn't have to go in there, it was like, I was bloated, getting stomach cramps, you know, I'm taking a modium drunk you know, slow the flow. (laughs) It was like (laughs) nothing I could do to get my stomach right. So it was like, I was uncomfortable most of the time. I did have a couple laps during the night where I felt pretty good, but then during the day it came right back and it was just like, you know, every time I got back to the parking lot, it's like, well, time to go to the porta potty. (laughs) It was, you know, it was something I never dealt with and and it can be demoralizing and and it's just frustrating because you're like, oh, I should feel so good. What am I doing wrong? And I feel like it was something I ate maybe the day before, and it just happened to just happened to not sit right with me and poor timing, right? And yeah. usually I'm pretty good about what I eat going into the race because I want to avoid something like this. And I ended up being on a business trip that week, so eating out for a full week is like, what can you do? But Did I made you it through, right? Yeah. yeah, right. It definitely, definitely <laughs> paid the price. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was good. I, I was happy. I was with friends. It was a great community. Everybody's really excited to be there. We all, you know, you run with people through the night, through the day, different people, different, you know, they're doing the 12 hour, you're doing the 24. So you see them for a little while and then you don't see anybody. And then it was a, it was a good time, but you know, there's an asterisk there, which is frustrating because I did have a goal of 10 laps. I feel like I could have done 10 laps and it's just been, you know, I actually ended up having a journal about it because it was, it was a fair amount of disappointment. And, you know, you say it to somebody, I did 53 miles. I did 20,000 feet of vert. You know, anybody outside of this community is like, you're crazy, man. That's amazing. You know? Yeah. uh, That's how I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here going 20,000 feet of vert, 53 miles. That's incredible. Uh, And to me, it was like, I mean, I can see it. Yes, it's great. I hate actually being the one to be like, it wasn't good enough because I feel like I could have done better. I feel like if things would have gone a little better, if I, you know, but it's something I learned from. So I spent a little less time at the, at the base of the mountain, you know, a little less time at the car, a little less time doing this. Maybe I could have got in a 10th lap, right? It's grappling with my own self-doubt and my own, you know, um, disappointment that I have in myself, even though nobody else is disappointed in me. You know, none of my family was disappointed. None of my friends, you know, everybody's cheering you on, super happy. My coach was really thrilled with what I did. And she was actually, you know, the first one I text was like, I'm super disappointed. You know, like I had a goal. I didn't meet it. I did less than I really wanted to do. And she's like, no, I get it. You're in this world where you're in this tiny little subculture of runners that, you know, we get lost in the fact that I did 53 miles, you know, it's like, it's a huge accomplishment, but it's, it comes with that little asterisk next to it is what I like to say of like, but I could have done better, you know, and, it, and it's grappling with that drive to succeed and that drive to do better while also reining in and bringing back into accepting that it was an accomplishment that I should be proud of. I think we all kind of deal with that maybe on a smaller scale with different things. Yeah. Oh, I could always do better at this. I could always do better at that, but it's still, okay. But I still did good. Do you think that's helping you? Is that motivating you for future stuff? I mean, what do you think that's doing to you now? Cause I know that was just a week oh, yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's huge, right? I mean, it, it's definitely what drives me to get better. I see these things that I could have done better. I learn from these little experiences, like, 
like having gut issues for the first time, you know, it was like, okay, so now I know what I have to do. I have to really watch what I eat for that full week leading in, right? I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to all these little details and actually calculating in like, okay, how much time did I waste? You know, how much time did I spend at the aid station? Could I have knocked off a couple, you know, a little bit there? Um, I always feel bad when my crew shows up and I'm like, got to be quick. You know, I'm like, I want to spend time with them. I want them to see me, want to talk to them, let them know how everything's going, but maybe I need to cut that down a little, you know? So it's like all these little details that I need to learn to get better and to accept, you know, like accept my success for what it is and accept that, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not as fast as some of these people I compare myself to, you know, I'm not as I didn't do as many laps as the guy that won, you know, I didn't place in the top three or whatever, you know, it, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like it's okay to not be this perfect person, you know, that, uh, but also using that drive in a healthy manner is what I have to kind of, you know, rein in and hone in on is, is using that drive. You know, I feel like we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome in us. And uh, I actually saw a funny meme when I posted it the other day, it says I have imposter syndrome. It's like their other half is saying, but are you even good enough to have imposter syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it is. Huh? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, maybe you're right. I don't know. But yeah. yeah. So that self-doubt, you know, that triggers that, that in you, it's like, you know, something to, something to work past, something to get better at. There's always that drive for success for me. What's the future hold? Are you going to just keep doing 100s? I mean, you can only do so many in a year, right? I mean, you can't just yeah. do 100 yeah. every weekend. So what's kind of well, what's kind of the plan for you? Yeah, so I've got a few races on the books this year. I've got a couple 50Ks. I made a course for myself and a couple of my crazy friends said they want to do it. So that one's going to be a big challenge in June. Hopefully by June, the snow's gone and we can do it. So that's kind of the goal. Um, but uh, September is going to be a huge month for me. I'm actually, I got into Wasatch again and I'm doing the Bear 100 again. And they're three weeks apart. Wow. So so September is a big month and it's, you know, it's mildly terrifying. And I just feel like that's something I can motivate myself. You know, I can motivate myself to do all the little things that I feel like was part of the reason I was disappointed with, with myself this last time. Like I wasn't eating right. I wasn't doing the, you know, the strength training and the mobility stuff. It's a motivator for me to do everything and do it as hard as I can, because it's going to be extremely difficult, harder than anything I've ever done. You know, doing 100 is very hard. Doing another 100 three weeks later is is exponentially harder, right? I mean, it's like they say the second half of that marathon isn't twice as hard as that first half of that marathon. It's much harder, right? So <laughs> incredible. And I wish you luck. Good luck on, on all these, your, oh, your goals. I think you have the right mindset for it. I, I think you've overcome a lot. I think it's putting you on the the right path, the right trail, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> when you look yeah, back absolutely. on these last few years, is there any particular race or course or moment within a race that you still think of to this day that you're, I mean, maybe there's probably a lot, but maybe just one in particular you could share with us. Like you got to this point or so, I don't know, whatever you, whatever yeah. you think. I think so. There's a couple we'll hit one was actually when I was pacing my friend during Wasatch in 21. So I was pacing him for the same section. I paced my, my other friend on in 19 and I actually had some of my, uh, one of my work friends that ended up becoming pretty good friends with he passed from cancer. And so I had some of his ashes. I got to spread his ashes at the top of the mountain. Just, you know, I, I got to split some with my friend. And, uh, so it was like, we shared that moment 
it was a beautiful sunrise at the time. And it was like, this is why I'm doing this, you know, to be out here, to reflect on my life, to go through these difficult things. And it was like, everything just clicked all at the same time. Right. I mean, the moment was huge. I had a good friend with me, you know, I was celebrating my other friend and it was like, the scenery was, was mind blowing at the time. I mean, it was perfect. Right. So, so that was a huge moment for me. And I still think about it constantly. Every time I go over that, you know, in training, every time I go over the top of Brighton, every time I, you know, the, when I did Wasatch again, you know, I stopped and I took in that moment again. And it was like, okay, this is, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm doing it. You know, to overcome these life goals and these past pains and, you know, deal with it all at the same time. And then, uh, yeah, I think, you know, finishing Wasatch was huge for me. You know, I'd seen multiple people do it. I'd paced it twice and was, I was ready for it to be mine. But I think my most successful and probably my most enjoyable time was, was Tusher's 100K. I finished way below my best case goal. I felt amazing coming across the line. It was one of the most visually stunning places I've ever been. The race terrified me. I mean, it was a lot of vert. It was a lot of vert at altitude, but it was beautiful and it was very challenging. And I took, I took it extremely seriously, my training going into it. So the payoff for me was just, it was, it was enormous. I mean, uh, you know, at the end of the video, I'm kind of laugh crying. I'm like, I can't believe I beat 20 hours. It was huge. I mean, it's 15 minutes under 20 hours, but I didn't even think I, I set 20 hours as like, okay, that's the goal that if everything goes, you know, perfectly. I might hit it and I actually came in under it was like, okay, maybe I'm better, you know, cause I, my self doubt is tremendous. Right. I mean, I constantly doubt myself. I constantly doubt if I'm going to finish constantly doubt if I'm going to finish in a goal that I set. And so that was like, okay, maybe I can do more than I actually am telling myself I can do. Maybe I can go farther and faster than I think I can. Maybe I have this hidden strength that I didn't know that I really had. Right. I mean, and that was finishing my first hundred. That was finishing this one in a, in under the time that I even guessed I could. It's kind of like something I need to keep in back of my head and reflect on that I I am as good as maybe I think I am, or even better than I think I can be. Awesome, Michael. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us on Journey with Jake. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate the time. It's been enjoyable for sure. Special thanks to my guest Michael Whiteside for joining me on the show. Apologize, my audio wasn't the best it's been. Trying to get set up with a new computer and all that good stuff, and I must have not had a right setting on or something, so I apologize about that. But I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for the things I learned from Michael Whiteside. Appreciate his thoughts and and being honest with us about some of his past trials and the trials he struggles with now, and I'm grateful for that. Again, give him a follow on Instagram. It's at Michael underscore Dean 82. You can check out more things from him there. Thanks to all of you who listened to Journey with Jake. I would really love it if you would give me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. That would help me out a lot. It gets the word out about Journey with Jake and helps other people find the show. That would be awesome. Just remember, it's not always about the destination as it is about the journey. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.